Good morning. I'm going to do it again because I feel like that's the church thing to do. Good morning. Okay, there we go. Awesome. So it is a pleasure of mine to be able to come to you today and speak, to the, uh, speak the word of God. Now, a lot of people ask me, they said, you must be speaking because you're dressed up. Now, I don't know if that is a bad thing because I don't normally dress up or if they're just telling me I look good, but it is good to be here. So have you guys been enjoying uh, this sermon on the 12 disciples? Yes, okay. So as you all know, we all have names. My name is Ryan. Yes, my name is Ryan. Okay, so first of all, my name is Ryan. Sorry, I said that. So we have the R and the E. So I have been thinking this entire sermon series that all you got to do with the E is alter it a tiny bit. You could probably make a Y. And then I'm going to contact Randy. He's going to make me an A and an N. And uh, we're going to post it on Luke's office wall because he cheers for Calgary sports teams. And every single time he looks up, just by seeing my name, he will remember whose teams have won more Stanley Cups and more Grey Cups. Now, that's just a name, and he's going to remember those things, okay? So today we are talking about Judas. So when I say the name Judas, what do you guys first think of? Betrayal, I hear. Okay. So I want to make it clear, we are not talking about that Judas. Okay, so Jesus called two Judases. So today we're going to talk about a guy we, we more refer to as Thaddeus or Jude. Now can you imagine, like, if your name was Judas and after Jesus' crucifixion, Mark's going to get there in a couple weeks, but after Jesus died, can you imagine having the name Judas? Imagine going home and your mom's like, hey, I gave you this, this awesome name when you were born and I, I, I call you Judas, but then suddenly there's something a little bit negative attached with your name. So he started going by Thaddeus. So that's who, what we're going to refer to him today as Thaddeus, Okay. So there's not a lot we know about Thaddeus, but what we do know is that after Jesus' crucifixion, he went on to live as a missionary, and he was ultimately martyred and persecuted for his faith in Jesus in spreading the gospel. So we know that he had a fruitful ministry, even though at times people threatened his life, they threatened his safety, he still faithfully served Jesus and continued to spread his gospel. And it is so important to know how he received that word, because as you know, Jesus called two Judases, and there was a different result in how they received that word. And when I think of receptions, receiving, I can't help but think about the Eskimos who are about to go on their march to the Great Cup today. And when I think of the word receive, I think of catching a ball. So when, I don't know, maybe you're not familiar with football, but when, when you catch a ball, there is a number of things that can go wrong. I watched a game a few weeks ago, um, and as the receivers are running down the field, it was pouring rain in Montreal. And every single time they went to catch the ball, it would just slip right through their hands and they never had a chance. There can also be a defender who's in your way, who's, who's always bothering you and trying to knock the ball out of your hands. And you can maybe have it in your hands for a second, but then it's ripped away. Sometimes, and this is, this is the thing in hockey too, if you're about to take a pass and you're about to receive it, or if you're about to go up and catch the pass and you're like, man, there's a big guy coming to hit me. You're distracted. You, don't, you can't focus on catching that ball and receiving it, so you drop it. And every now and then, it's a beautiful sight to see a quarterback, maybe Pastor Mark, because he's a quarterback, he just doesn't talk about it, because he was a little close to the NFL, maybe not so much, but if a perfect pass is thrown and you receive it and hopefully run for a touchdown, that is a thing of beauty. Now, Jesus didn't really preach on football, shocker, but he did reference something about receiving that is so similar in Mark chapter 4, and that is the parable of the sower. And as we read the scripture, I hear the word sowing, and, and this is just a, something that came to my mind as I was writing, but in grade eight, I was forced to take a sewing class. Now, my neighbor was the sewing teacher, so I was like, she's seen me once or twice in my 12 years or 13 years on this planet, shovel the sidewalk for my parents, and she's going to give me an A. And when I sewed the pockets on the wrong side of the pants, 
and one was a different colored fabric, I quickly got an F. So thankfully, we are not talking about that sowing. The sowing we are talking about is literally, it means to plant in or on soil. So today in this parable, I think it's important to draw three things that, that are, uh, you might be able to identify with better than just hearing about a seed and a sower and soil. So the sower is God himself. And it's not always God just like speaking in an audible voice to you, because as, as many of you know, that's, that's not always what happens. But maybe God is, is using a preacher. Maybe he's using a friend in your life. Maybe you're just driving in your car and you're listening to the radio, and there's a powerful message that you hear, and a seed is sown in your heart. Maybe it's a song. It could be anything. God can use anything or anyone to plant a seed in your life. And the seed is the word of God. It is unchanging. It is perfect. It never alters. It is always the same, and it is perfect. And the, and the soil, that is the condition of your heart. You see, Jesus called two Judases, and they received it in different ways because the condition of their heart was different. So as we jump in today, I want you to remember those things. So he starts out in verse 2. He says, he taught them many things by t- parables, saying, listen. Now, this is important. Listen is how he starts this parable, and it literally means to hear. And depending on how you hear what Jesus is saying in this parable, it depends on if you're going to even get anything out of it. And at the very end in verse 9, he says, so those who have ears, let them hear. So obviously, hearing is super important because he starts and he finishes with it. In verse 3, uh, or sorry, in verse 4, and this is really important when I get into this here because there's two things that need to be made clear. First of all, uh, do we have any Saskatchewan people or Albertans? Who would consider themselves a farmer? Brenda, okay. <laughs> Brenda is our farmer. Brenda says, I'm a farm girl. I can chase people off of the lot. So <laughs> Brenda is our farmer. So maybe this won't resonate with some of you because I would be like, hey, I don't know, but you're about to get a farming lesson from me, okay? So uh, Western, Western kind of farming practices, you normally work on the soil, you prepare it, you get it all ready, and then you sow the seed. But it's really important to remember that when this book was being written and back in the day when Jesus was teaching this parable, the seed was sown and then the soil was prepared. If you think of it the other way, one might say, this, does, this doesn't make sense. Brenda's probably going to have a challenge with this. But that's really important. And how it literally worked is you would either grab the seed by hand and just scatter it wherever. And It's not careless, but you might scatter it wherever. Or you take your burlap sack, you place it on your donkey or on your shoulder, and you cut holes in the corners, and you literally walk up and down, and you let the seed fall wherever it may. Is it careless, or is it just trusting that wherever that seed may fall, you are planting it? Now in verse 4, and this is something so important, and these are the four points I want to make today. He makes four different references to different kinds of soils. And in those soils, I want you to ask yourself, what is the condition of my soil or my heart? Because believe it or not, every single one of us here, we all have heart conditions. We're at risk for heart conditions. And I know, I know that's scary. When you hear someone say, you have a heart condition, or why don't you take a look at your own heart? That's not a pleasant thing to do sometimes. You're like, man, my heart's pretty dirty, and I, I don't know, like it's just awkward, and I'm a dude, and I don't want to look at my own heart. But I challenge you, wherever you are, whoever you are, take a look at your heart. What is the condition? A year and a half ago, I, I remember coming downstairs, and my dad was laying on the couch, and, and he ended up, he was having a heart attack. So we called 911, and we rushed him to the hospital, and, and I remember I was so scared. And he had gone through the procedure already where they had put the stent in his vein, and, and he was doing okay. And I remember I walked into the room, and I looked at my dad, and there was a nurse standing there, and she says, you must be the son. I said, yes. 
We're both big guys. I'm the son. She said, you're at risk for a heart condition. Like, well, hello to you too. Like, thank you. Like, my dad just had a heart attack. Like, thank you for, like, bringing it to my attention that I am now suddenly at risk. And I didn't, I didn't want to accept the. It's probably true. I, well, I'm not a doctor, but I know it's true. But it's hard for me to accept those things. Because to take a look at my own problems and where the problems may lie in my heart, that's not easy to do. But this whole thing is important on listening and hearing what God is trying to say and taking a look at your own soil. Now in verse 4, it says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now I don't really like birds, but I know I've been places where I've dropped like a, a something on the ground, and before I even can think of going to grab it, there's a seagull flying in, and it grabs it, and it's gone. And I get upset. I move on from it. But this is really important. This is what we refer to as the hardened heart. And when someone has a hardened heart, I don't know if, if you've talked to them before or you've dealt with someone with a hardened heart, but it's not always pleasant. It doesn't mean they're bad people. They might be the kindest person in the entire world. But if their heart is hardened, hardened something has happened to them that has made it that way. When I think of the word hardened, I think of being calloused or, or numb or having no feeling or sensitivity. In, uh, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus, the, the disciples and people are doubting the fact that he has just taken a loaf of bread and multiplied it. And people are doubting and he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? And he says, are your hearts hardened? He says, do you have eyes, to, uh, eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And do you not remember? See, he lists three things there. He says, are you not able to see? Are you not able to hear? And can you not remember? It's basically being spiritually blind or deaf, if you will. And something has to happen for you to get to that point. I mean, I can deliver the best sermon. Pastor Mark, whoever's speaking, any, any pastor in any church or anyone speaking or sowing a seed can deliver the best message that is spirit-filled and well-sought-out and well-thought-out and prayed about. But if your heart is hard, it's just going to go in one ear, maybe not even, and out the other. And you see here that the ground is so hard and it fell beside the path where there's probably a lot of foot traffic and that soil is so hard that nothing can penetrate it. So what are some of those things that it might look like in your life? What can make your heart hard heart, heart hard? Pain. I know people that have a hard heart because they have gone through so much pain in their life. Ben said something really profound. He said, are we running away from God or are we running to God? Oftentimes people with hard hearts have gone through so much stuff where they, they're running away from God. So much so that nothing you say to them can even penetrate the walls of your, uh, of, your, of your mind. Maybe it's struggle. You know, you're struggling. Maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. Being a student and newly married, this is one that I can understand a lot. When you see the numbers in your bank account that are scary, you don't want to hear anyone talk to you about any sort of, like, God loving you and he's faithful and all that stuff when you can plain out see in your bank account that things are hard. You become hard-hearted to something that is so true. Maybe it's pride. There's people that think, you know what, I, I, I have a PhD or I have a master's, I have a bachelor's, I've done high school, and I'm smart enough and I can figure this out on my own. So when someone is trying so hard to sow the word of God into your heart, you're too distracted with your own pride to even take it in and listen. And sometimes it takes someone calling you out on that for you to even realize. I've been so frustrated before with not only myself, but also when I'm speaking to other people and I know what I'm saying to them is true and I feel like God wants me to tell them that, but they're so hurt and wounded and guarded and in this little shell that it doesn't even come close to 
meaning anything to them. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of a sober mind. It says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now this, this verse has always kind of meant something to me because I'm always trying to be on guard because I know I'm a, I'm a person who is available sometimes with doubts and fears and worries and all of those things. And I don't want the seed of God to land on this hard surface and have the enemy come devour it. Satan preys on doubts, he preys on unbelief, and he preys on bitterness and hurt. And one of the things that drives me the most nuts is into the next verse. It's, it's people that have this newfound happiness and, and love for Jesus. They are so vulnerable, and that's where the vulnerable heart comes in. In verse 5, it says, Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they have no root. Now, people might think, you know what, there's, maybe there's pebbles and rocks in the soil. Well, that's, that's too bad, I guess. I guess that could make it kind of hard. But it's important to realize here, this soil is shallow, but it is fertile. These people might know the word of God. Maybe it's someone who grew up in church, and, and you've experienced your own faith, and, 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 and you know, but when you're challenged by the sun and the heat of life, that plant quickly withers and becomes scorched because there's no depth. And what Mark is talking about is, is this limestone that, and Jesus is talking about, sorry, is this limestone that lies beneath the soil that allows the root, no root to be planted. So when the, the heat comes and things, the storm comes, I've talked to the youth about this this year. We renamed our youth group Rooted. Part of the reason is because there's a shocking statistic when students leave high school and they go to university and they learn new things that they weren't taught in church and they experience things like the party life and popularity and all those things in a more uh, great extent, to a great extent, they are challenged, and that root is ripped right out of the dirt, and there is a shocking number. So when we were praying about a name, we thought of rooted, so that when that faith, faith is tested, it doesn't wither, it doesn't get ripped out. Something that, some of these things that can challenge um, your faith, again, hurt. One story that comes to my mind that is just so real, and it breaks my heart to this day. I had a cousin, and he was 14 at the time. And uh, he wasn't raised in a Christian home, and, and I brought him to a, a Christian camp. So I remember we're looking over there one day. I'm sitting in the pew. I was his counselor. And I'm sitting in the pew, and there's hundreds of students with their hands raised, and people are giving their lives to God. And it was one of the most beautiful, magical moments of my life. And I looked over at my cousin, and he had his hands raised, and this was just, I was overwhelmed with emotion and happiness. Because I knew my cousin was finally getting a taste, and he was finally experiencing a little bit of God's love. And for a while there, he was making Facebook statuses and he was telling his friends and he was so excited and it was so awesome. And I'll never forget the day that I came out of my room in the morning and I walked into my parents' room and I was like, why are you guys not at work? And they were sitting at the foot of their bed and I asked them, what's wrong? My first thought was my fiance at the time and I was like, oh no, like what, what happened? And they told me my auntie Chris had been killed and that's Brandon's mom. And she was at work and she went out to get something out of her car and some guy didn't see her and backed over her and she was killed instantly. And my cousin's small plant that was excited and it was ready was slowly and, and quickly withered. You see, Satan has no sensitivity. And I'm not saying that that situation is not hard because it is hard. I will never, ever have words to explain to him why that happened. There's some things you just can't explain. But God's promise doesn't change. That seed doesn't change. For some people, it might be losing a job. 
maybe going through a divorce, having someone break your, your heart, having a friend hurt you. They don't get any easier. But your faith shouldn't wither due to a lack of soil. There's some of the most great people that I've ever met in my entire life have what we refer to in the next one as the damaged heart. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear green. Now these people, again, they have fertile soil. There's no lack of depth. They might have the richest soil ever. They might have the most potential and the most, at, the, at times the most fruit in their life where, where God is working and he is growing and their life is going great. And then suddenly a distraction comes in. You see, thorns grow up, and these thorns, they can be looked at as sin is a big word, but it can be looked at as pride or, or lusting or, or temptation or a lot of those things. But these thorns grow up, and, and, and they grow quicker. As you know, Brenda might know because she's the only farmer here, but maybe you guys do gardening. But thorns grow quicker than every other plant. I remember working at the golf course before I got this job, and I was the bunker foreman, which is, I don't even know if that's a real title. They gave me the foreman at the end, I think, to make me feel better about how bad my job was. But... I remember going out every single day and there was like 40 bunkers on the course and I would have to get down and I would have to weed the edges of the bunker and I'd pull these weeds out and I would feel so good about myself at the end. I would kind of stand there and I'd be like, this is a great looking bunker. And I would go home and I would feel great. I wasn't happy because I didn't like my job, but I would go home at the end of the day and I would feel great. And then the next day I'd come back and I'd pull up on my cart and I'd do a little like, oh yeah. And I'd look at it and there'd be like 43 thousand weeds on the side of the bunker again. How does this happen? Because it's almost like it's plagued with this, this, these weeds that grow quickly. And in our own lives, that's hard. This is, this is some of the hardest stuff to look at is where are the thorns in my life that are actually choking out the perfect word of God? For some people, it's anger. This is one for me. There was a funny story in Alpha about the, Nicky Gumbel, who's the Gimbel Gumbel. He's the guy who, who runs Alpha. And he was, he was ticked off. He was biking in, in London. I think some guy cut him off. And he got so upset and so angry that it turned into, like, biker slash car road rage. And then the guy said, hey, Nicky, and held his Al- Alpha pamphlet out the door. <laughs> and anger had overtaken him, and he had pursued this guy, and he was so angry, he let anger gra- get a hold of him. And then the guy ended up having attended Alpha. <laughs> it makes you, makes you be careful. I'm, I'm bad with road rage, let me tell you. <laughs> if someone doesn't use their signal light, I am upset. Anger is such an easy thing to let, like, creep into the cracks of your life and quickly it is spread and it is out of control and these thorns are bursting out from everywhere. And when someone might be, you might be able to be a, a witness for someone and they step on your toe a bit, that anger takes over. Maybe it's selfishness. You, you have a hard time letting go of your own time. Again, something I can identify with. You have a hard time letting go of your evenings to help someone. Your friend that is single and alone needs help moving, but you know what? The Oilers game's on that day. Maybe it's your money. You cling to your money, or you, you strive after only money. You know, we're allowed to have these things. You're allowed to have a, have a moment of anger. I don't think that's a bad thing, but letting it dwell and letting it become something that is harmful, letting selfishness, which is never good, become harmful to someone else and yourself is bad. And those are the thorns. And, and sometimes with these people and with my own self at times in my life, I've looked and I've been like, you know, I see a lot of thorns in my life. I wonder what my heart would look like if it didn't have any thorns. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about next. He says, and other, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Someone's saying, what might make a heart healthy? It's not referenced here. We don't read about what's a healthy heart. You have to kind of continue on and to read and learn about the life of Jesus. But what is that? Like, what happens? In the original, the hardness of the heart, when you receive that, you don't even want it. But the person with, with a healthy soil, they take that word that is initially given to them and they, they cling to it. They make sure nothing else can harm that. When they're challenged, they will cling to the word right from the beginning. They will allow the roots to form. And when tested, they will go and return to those roots and see that it is firmly planted. And the damaged heart, you see, the damaged heart is distracted with other things. But a healthy heart welcomes the word exclusively. And as I was thinking about these things, I couldn't help but be reminded of of the Apostle Paul. As you guys probably know, Saul, at the time, Paul was Saul. And Saul basically persecuted Christians. I mean, if there's ever been a hard heart, this guy didn't just not listen to the word of God, but he would actually go kill Christians if they said they believed in Jesus and they were Christ followers. That is a hard heart. You might think, that guy could never, ever come to know a loving God because he actually kills people that say they love that God. But upon this miraculous conversion, that hard heart welcomed that word of God. And I think, I think of being challenged. In 2 Corinthians 12, we read about this thorn in the flesh that Paul had, which, which he, he, he refers to as a plot of like basically the devil trying to distract him, trying to, to get him off course. And he begged God. He said, God, please take this away from me. We don't even know what it was. It could have been malaria. It could have been a skin condition. Some people thought it was a speech impediment. He was challenged with something that rocked his world enough that the man of faith who wrote half the New Testament begged God to take that away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. It's in your weakness I am made strong. And the last one, I think of this one so much. He says in Philippians 1.21, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ. Everything that he did, his heart pumped. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's what I want my soil to look like. I want my soil to be something that everything I do echoes and resembles Jesus. And you know what? At times I fail. At times I fail. We all do. One of the things that I'm reminded by in this is, is people say, you know, like, you know, my heart's too dirty. My heart's too mucky. There's no possible way that even this, like, I'm a good person and I come to church. You know what? I care about God and, and maybe I just have no idea. But there's no way that my heart could be transformed into something considered good soil. Some might say, you know, how can God be so careless as to sow seeds where he knows it's not going to work? God sows seed with reckless abandon. There is not any end of the earth he will not spread his message to. And at the end of the day, we are responsible for the soil of our heart and how we want it to look. Something that I am so reminded by, and as I was writing this sermon, I, was just, I, I just had this heaviness on my heart of people that are just okay with believing that the soil in their heart is good. And something that I, I, thought, I think of is as I drive out to the lake, we have a cabin at Sylvan, and as I drive out there, sometimes I see these, these fields at the beginning of the summer, and I can see the farmers out there, sometimes at one in the morning, laying their seed. 
And everyone else is sleeping probably around and they're out there laying the seed. And I drive by sometimes at two in the morning and they're out there at the end of, and plowing and working and always working. I've talked to farmers who have this crop that is damaged or the soil didn't work and the, and the crop wasn't as good as they thought. And they have, don't have enough money to put food on the plate because of the lack of crop. But one of the most beautiful things that I can think of is every single year I drive by those fields again, you see those exact same farmers out there laying seed again. Because for every, a good farmer has a hope for every seed they lay. And that's the thing, I just challenge every single one of us today to look at, at your own heart. If you don't know Jesus, or if you, if you have a, had these, these moments of your life where you've had hardness in your heart, or, or you haven't felt like he's near, or you've had something happen to you, and you're angry, or you're hurt, or you're wounded, or damaged, there is nothing that God can't fix. There is nothing God can't work with you to heal. I have this image in my mind of, of Jesus standing at the side of the garden. And we're all there working on our garden. And sometimes we have a really hard time asking this loving father standing there with his tools ready to help us. But we're too proud, we're too consumed, and we're too satisfied with just trying to do it ourselves. He's there and he's holding the tools ready to help. And where does that start? For some of us, it might just start by asking for help. You know, like, I need help. I can't do this by myself anymore. For some people, it might be letting go of something that they have a really, really hard time letting go of that consumes them every single day. And they don't even know where to begin. For you, it might be prayer, having a conversation with God taking it to him. There is no problem too big for him, but in order for him to help you, you have to be willing to let him work on your soil. You have to give him the access to your own heart before he can begin his work. And finally, like I, I think of, of this as an area of my life, quite honestly, where, where I could get better, is by opening and spending 15 minutes. You've heard Mark reference it so much, and it's so easy to think, well, how much of a difference could that make? But to set aside a time and sit down and open that book and look in here and read God's word and ask him to make it make sense to you. Have a conversation with him. Dig into him deeper. Surround yourself with people that can help you. I read about that crop that produces 60, 30, 100 times. And what does that look like in our own life? Maybe for us, it's just experiencing a moment of freedom from the things that have held us captive. Maybe it's God working in your life and taking you and making you a, a, a world changer. I do believe that. And I had this heaviness that there is people in this room, no matter how young or how old, that can change the world with that soil if they just gave God access. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness and your love for us. I thank you for that reckless abandoned God where you will cast a seed wherever it falls. I pray, God, as the days continue on, that people would have boldness, that people would have courage to look into the, the soil of their heart, God, and ask if there's a place where they could make a change. 
I thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. I thank you for your son, God, for dying on the cross so that we can be free. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.